0: There was a post on Facebook on Thanksgiving that uh, asked people to post the best thing that someone else had ever done for them. And I thought that was pretty interesting, but there, was no, uh, there were no posts yet when I looked at it. I saw it pretty early, and I was planning to go back and look at some of the answers, but yesterday when I went back to look at them, I couldn't find it anymore. So I don't know if anybody didn't have anything or if I just couldn't find it. That's pretty typical that I can't find what I'm looking for. But I I just wonder, what about you? What is the best thing anyone has ever done for you? Maybe it was something that they did or maybe it was something that they gave you. It was a gift, an unexpected gift. Uh, you know, there there are a lot of those things, and we can think about them and, and see a lot of things that that other people, you know, Jennifer and I have been so blessed, you know, by you, by other people, by people in the churches that we've been in, by friends and by family. You know, it's just a blessing the way that people do things and, and go the extra mile for, uh, for each one of us. And that's part of what Thanksgiving is about, giving thanks for those people, giving thanks for the friends, giving thanks for the... To the people who, who gave us something, that cost them something, but was a, a blessing to us. You know the airport at uh, Chicago is uh, the name of it is O'Hare International Airport. And it's named after a Navy pilot. His name was uh, Lieutenant Commander Edward Henry Butch O'Hare. And he was a, an ace pilot in World War II. He was actually the Navy's number one ace in, in World War II. And he was the first naval aviator ever to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. And he got the Chicago airport named after him. But none of that would have ever happened if somebody else hadn't paid a high price for him. And that somebody else was his father. I didn't know this story. This, it, it's an incredible story. His father, Butch's father, was Edward O'Hare. And he was a lawyer. Forget this. Al Capone. He was one of Al Capone's lawyers. Uh, he was called Artful Eddie. He had money. He had power. And he was... Like I said, he was a part of that organization. But one day, he gave the authorities all the information they needed in order to arrest Capone. Uh, and the reason that he did it is he was working out a deal for his son. He, uh, he wanted to give his son a break. And they arrested Al Capone, and not very long after that, uh, Artful Eddie... Uh, received two shotgun blasts, and it ended his life. But because he had turned state's evidence, because he had turned that stuff over, his son was accepted at the Naval Academy in Annapolis. And uh, because he had confessed and uh, gave the people what they needed, and then, because you know he was die- he died as a result of it, the admissions folks at the Naval Academy decided that the family's mob connections had been severed, and he was accepted into West Point or into Annapolis so basically, what happened is that artful Eddie paid with his own life for the chance for his son to succeed as we look at this passage. In- Exodus 32. That's the kind of decision that Moses makes in Exodus 32. The passage that we're going to look at, we, we realize that this was probably the, the outstanding moment in Moses's life when he was less like the people around him and more like God, more like Jesus Christ than any other time in his life. And as we look at the things that we've looked at about Moses over these weeks, uh, that we've studied Exodus, you know, all of them are are they're, they're just unimaginable events in his life. For example, you know, when he saw God at the burning bush, you know, guys, he was standing in front of this bush that burned without being burned up, and God spoke to him out of the the bush. God told him his name out of the bush. He said. He said, this is my name. Now that you know my name. And, and it was an awesome time when he saw and spoke to God. And then going down off the mountain and going into Egypt, he went into the palace of what was probably the, the greatest civilization on earth at the time. And he went down into the palace before the most powerful man in, in all of all the world and said, God says, let my people go. And he had this contest with Pharaoh that, that we looked, looked at some of and the things that he did. And he said, let my people go. He stood right before the king and said, let the people go. And then... He went to the Red Sea. He was leading the people out, and they got to the Red Sea. And this is probably one of the most interesting, most fascinating accounts in the whole book of Exodus, when they stood before the Red Sea with the sea in front and the army behind and the wall to the north and the ocean to the south, and and, and they had nothing that they could do. And Moses lifted his hands, and God parted the waters, and the children of Israel crossed on dry land. Yeah, it's hard to even imagine an event like that. I read that story to the kids the other day. And when I read that, Soran's response was, whoa. <laughs> well, that is a whoa moment when, when, uh, when, when that happened. And then standing on the mountain at Sinai, And Moses received the Ten Commandments. You know, I I don't know how that happened. It doesn't doesn't tell us exactly how that that all happened, except that God wrote the commandments out on stone himself. Uh, It may not have happened exactly like Cecil DeMille showed it in his movie, The Ten Commandments. But with lightning, God carved the words on the stone tablets. And so Moses not only heard the voice of God, he had the handwriting of God. He had God's handwriting on on the stone. And then looking on past where we are now, where we are today, as he goes to Mount Nebo. now Mount Nebo is is the mountain on the east side of the Jordan River, outside the promised land, where Moses went and observed the promised land from Mount Nebo. And he looked over and saw the promised land and, and he saw his people, the children of Israel, finally go into the promised land. And he may have said something to himself like, you know, this, this was the cause for which I was born. All of my life has led to this moment. And these people that God entrusted me with or entering into the Promised Land, and you know, and that and that's a great story. But I think what happened in verse thirty in chapter thirty-two is the accomplishment of Moses, the time in Moses's life when it is most amazing and 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 most uh, like our Lord Jesus Christ. It's summed up in just two verses. We're going to look at some other verses, but. But what Moses said is summed up in just two verses. Moses said, but now, if you will forgive their sin, he's asking God to forgive the sin of the children of Israel. But if you don't, if you won't forgive their sins, please blot me out of the book for which you've written. He said, if you can't save those people, don't save me. If you can't forgive them, don't forgive me. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. And here's what Moses was saying. He was saying, Lord, forgive them. Don't punish them for this. We're going to talk about what the this is in a minute. Don't blot them out of your book. But if you forgive them, if you won't forgive them, then put their sin upon me. Let me take their sin and blot my name out of your book forever. Now the background of the story is that Moses had led the people from Egypt. They'd come back to the mountain of God called Sinai. Moses had left the people camped there on this great plain and continued up with Joshua. They continued up to what is today called the mountain of Moses. And this is where he had been with God. This is where God had told him his name. And now he went up there and he was with God for 40 days. And Face to face with a conversation with God, He gave him the Ten Commandments, and that and that conversation time is is really fun. It, you know, if you if you read through it and you just and you try to put into modern English, modern language what they're saying to one another, it's really an incredible story. But God had given them the Ten Commandments, and then He told them, Moses, "You better get on back down there. Those folks aren't acting right." And uh, so Moses came back down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and he found that in the days while he was gone, the children of Israel had melted all their gold earrings and bracelets and stuff down and made a golden calf and were worshiping and dancing And, and the word actually that's translated there out of the Hebrew says they were actually having a sexual orgy around this golden calf he says what have you guys done and it talks about the golden calf there in verse 24 so Moses returns and he finds the people worshiping and he's only been gone 40 days now that's a long time but when he left them everything was good and now he comes back and they fall into sin and And God's judgment has come upon them. And God says, I'm going to destroy them. This is not why I brought them out. I brought them out to deliver them, and they've turned from me. And God said, Moses, you alone are faithful. I will destroy all of them, and I'm going to start all over with you. So Moses would have been the the second Noah. He would have started all over with with just Moses. And then Moses says to him, God, God, don't forget your covenant to Abraham. Don't forget your covenant to Isaac. Don't forget the covenant that you made with them. And if you blot everyone out and you wipe everyone off the face of the earth and all them from the book of life forever, then just wipe me out too. Let me take into my body the punishment for their sins. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I was not down here to counsel them and lead them. Please forgive them. Whatever punishment is theirs, let it be mine instead. And, and I think this is the point that God was aiming towards so that we would understand, because you realize what he's saying, don't you? He's saying the same thing that Jesus has done for us. The same thing. And I, you know, I think that's the highest place that a, an individual can reach when we're like jesus and that's when he was the most like jesus it's the ultimate sacrifice that jesus made for us on the cross it's exactly what jesus said to them father forgive them for they don't know what they do and he took in his body the penalty for our sins and He took it to the cross and our sins were forgiven and he paid for them that's what Jesus did. Now, Moses is like Jesus. There's 68 things in the life of Moses, 68. We, we've called them types. There's 68 examples of Jesus Christ or, or repetitions of Jesus Christ in the life of Moses. Ways in which they are alike. For example, Moses and Jesus are both called servant. The chosen one, prophet, the priest, the king, the judge, the shepherd, the mediator, the intercessor, the deliverer. Both of them were born under a death sentence. Both were rejected by their own people when they sought to do the work of the Father had sent them to do. There are 68 of those. We're not going to look at all 68 of them, but, but they're pictures in the life of Moses drawn in scripture by the Holy Spirit to help, help us understand the life of Christ. But even with all of those, this is the place where he was most like Jesus. Lord, don't hold their sin against them. Let me take the guilt of their sin. Lay it upon me. And I would submit to you that we are most like Jesus when we're willing to give of ourselves, even of our life, that another person could come closer to Jesus, that another person could clumb to Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul made a similar identification with his kinsmen, the people of Israel. Uh, It's in Romans chapter 9 when he talks about being willing to give his life that they might know Jesus Christ. So I I want you to see some of that conversation. Not Paul's conversation, Moses' conversation with God on the mountain starts in Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, in other words, they saw that Moses had been gone for so long, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So in the first verse, They said, we don't know what happened to the man, to the leader that we had who brought us out of Egypt. And then they built this idol. And after they built the idol, they they fall before the idol to worship the idol, and they praise the idol. And here's what they say. Listen to what they say. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Do you see what they said? Do you see what they did? They took what Moses had done with God and they transferred it to the golden idol, to the golden calf. They praised the golden calf for what God had done. How often do we give others the praise for what God has done? How often do we forget to praise God for what he has done? And so then in verse 7, God tells Moses what the people have done. And this is what I was telling you. He he told Moses, you better get back down there. But the Lord said to Moses, chapter 32, verse 7, then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. I love this. Listen to what he says. Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves do you see what's weird about that when, Moses, when God sent Moses to the Egyptians what did he tell him? My let my people go God, let God's people go And God has called them his people and now he says to Moses hey <laughs> your, your guys are messing up <laughs> you better get down there with, with, with your guys go down at once and then look what Moses says verse 11 then moses entreated the lord as god and said lord why does your anger burn against your people god says they're your people moses says no they're your people they're arguing about whose people they are because because the they've sinned greatly and then in verse 14 and depending on your theology you, know, you may have trouble with verse 14 and, and I thought about taking time this morning to, to, to draw it out and explain it uh, because you know over in Numbers it says God is not a man that he should change his mind and here in verse 14 in the New American Standard it says that God changed his mind and I think in the King James it says God repented he, he changed his mind by, 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 by repenting but verse 14 says, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. So God came back and took them back from Moses and said, yeah, that they are my people. I'll admit that they're my people. And then in the passage that we read today, Moses accepts them as his people. He says, I identify with them. I will take their sin for them. So Moses identifies with them. We see Moses giving his life for others. You know, Jesus said, No greater love hath man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends, giving his life for another person. What artful Eddie did for his son Butch, what Moses did for his people, what Jesus did for us and what he expects us to do for others. He expects us to give our life for other people, that they might have life, that they might come to know Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about Moses being a type of Christ or a picture of Christ, there are some ways in which they're very unlike. They're not alike. For example, the Bible speaks in the, over in the next chapter the Bible speaks of Moses and his fading glory. You know, He saw the glory of God and his face was bright and then it started to fade and he put a veil over his face to keep people from being able to see that his glory was fading. But Jesus never lost the glory of God. His glory excelled all the way. The first recorded act that we have of Moses in his work for God was what? He killed a man. And what about Jesus? He raised a man to life. Moses took his staff and turned the water into blood. Jesus turned the water into wine, something that was good. Moses took the law and he broke it in his hands. Jesus kept the law perfectly in his whole life. Moses brought the bread from heaven that sustained life. He he had the manna come down that sustained life. But Jesus is the bread from heaven that gives life. And Moses from the mountain gave the people the law. Jesus, from the cross, gave people the grace. And then there's one thing that Jesus did that Moses could not do. And that was, Jesus could actually become our substitute. Moses couldn't be the substitute for his people. In Exodus 33 and 34 and 35, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Moses, you can't die for the people. Everybody has to pay for their own sin. But now you go and lead the people where I told you, and my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Moses couldn't be the sacrifice for them. Everyone will have to pay their own sin. But you know, I don't have to tell you this, you know this. With Jesus, it's different. In 1 Peter Peter 2.24, the scripture says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. We can be forgiven in Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did. We don't have to pay for our own sin. Now you may have never have made a golden calf, but we have idols. And there are other ways we fall before those Ten Commandments. Somebody pointed out that Moses came down with the Ten Commandments and he looked at the people and they were breaking three of them right then as a group. You know, and, and, and we break them as well. The good news is is that we don't have to pay for our sin because Jesus paid for theirs. So let me ask you, if you were going to answer that Facebook page, we're not going to take time to to answer that page or even take testimony. But if you were to, to write something on that Facebook page about something somebody did for you or something somebody gave to you, would one of the things that you thought about was the person who introduced you to Jesus or the person that... Handed you the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can you think of one something else somebody may have done for you that that drew you closer to God? Something that they did, a gift that they gave? Someone gave themselves to you in love. You know, you can think of those people. You can think of them. Can't you? Anybody, everybody can think of somebody, one person at least. Come on, you can think of one person. So my question is, are you that person for somebody else? Howard Hendricks, a professor from Dallas, told a story years ago in 1987. He was uh, on a flight from Boston to Dallas that took off six hours late. It was a Friday. People were anxious to get home. They were tired. Uh, they were steamed about the delay. And uh, Dr. Hendricks said that the man who sat across the aisle from him growled at the flight attendant every time she walked by. He let her know what a bad time he was having. And so he talked about the flight attendant's self-control and the way she handled the situation and the way that she, she handled everything with Grace. And so he walked back to the back of the airplane to compliment her. He said, "Um, what what is your name? He says, I would like to write American Airlines and express my appreciation for the way you've handled this. And she looked at him and smiled and said, I don't work for American Airlines. I work for Jesus Christ. Who do you work for? Who do you work for? Let's pray together.